Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bad Activist Podcast. It's Tori here, and it is currently June, which means that it is Pride Month. And although here at Bad Activist we don't only focus on pride, equality, and liberation during the month of June, it is a really, really important time for us to take stock of, you know, what pride means, uh, the fact that pride was a riot, and speaking to some awesome folks who work within the advocacy realm will be able to shed some light on what pride means to them. So me, Neil, and Julia will be talking to Prashita Maheshwari Aplin, an LGBTQ plus equality and liberation advocate, writer, creative, and queer community organizer. Prashita is the politics editor of Bricks magazine and has written for publications such as Dazed, Galdem, and Diva, and is also the director of operations at and a trustee with the direct action group Voices for London, where they organize directly with the queer community and work on global campaigns. We really hope you enjoy this episode and happy Pride, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on this Pride episode, Prashita. We are really, really excited to have you here. And I think a great way to kick this off is for everyone to just quickly introduce themselves and say their pronouns. So I'm Tori Choi. I use she, they pronouns. I'm Julia. My pronouns are she, they as well. I'm Neil. My pronouns are he, they. And I'm Prashita Maheshwari Aplin. And my pronouns are they, she. So we are really huge admirers of your work and something that I I really want to kind of start this conversation off is that when you speak about your advocacy, um, you're kind of talking a lot about the need to have diverse representation within the LGBTQ plus community. Um, And I've seen your work before, you know, we need more BIPOC voices, we need more trans folks, we need more marginalized uh, activists within the space championing uh, pride. Can you elaborate on this and like why it's important? Yes, for sure. I think more than anything, it's important for the voices of the LGBTQ plus community that are sort of like being centred and like focused out to the rest of the world and even sort of the voices that we are centering in our own conversations and our work to be of those who are still the most marginalised, the most exploited in the world, I think there can be a lot of uh, misjudgment around those, the kind of place that we're at as a community, um, like because of kind of our, you know, post-colonial, like Eurocentric ideas of progress. A lot of people mistakenly think that all the work's sort of done because cis white gays can get married. I mean, beyond the fact that there's still a lot of harassment and a lot of uh, bigotry faced by cis white gays, um, it's even more important to focus on the experiences of black and brown people, especially trans people, um, you know, queer sex workers, people who are experiencing uh, housing instability, people with neurodivergencies, disabled members of the community. I think that is very, very important for us to be centering their needs because we need to be remember that we need to remember that um, you know, the queer community, the LGBTQ community hasn't achieved liberation without bringing in those those members of our community, those those who are still being left out of the conversation time and time again because it's perceived as inconvenient to consider their needs. For sure. And something that we talk a lot about within our community, like 
Bad Activist Collective is made up of many queer thinkers and, you know, as such, we talk a lot about our privileges, for instance, me now existing in the UK in the Global North and Julia as well, but also Neil, like, talking about what it's like to be a queer man in the Bahamas and, like, how that disparity is, like, so, so different from what we experience on the daily. I don't know, Neil, if you kind of want to elaborate on some of the conversations we were having a few weeks ago the queer experiences that you feel or experience in the Bahamas as opposed to what we experience here in the UK. Because for me, like, I can only really speak on, like, the stuff that I experience here in the UK, but also in Hong Kong. Yeah, um, as far as the experiences in the Caribbean, they're, they're totally different because there's no kind of um, overt queer culture for the region, and there's also not a huge degree of acceptance and... So for that reason, a lot of individuals are living closet at night, and despite the fact that they would carry on relationships or friendships that don't allow for the death of anyone else who may be out or may be in a, a state or country where they're able to express themselves, it's, it's still a subculture. And so for that reason, um, there's, just, uh, there's just, I guess, very few instances of individuals that you could highlight, especially in the... I guess in the prime of their living and say that this is someone that I look up to as an LGBT activist or as, as, a, as a, a politician or as um, any kind of community leader in the Caribbean. It's understood, although it may not be the rule, but it's definitely socially understood that if you want a career in politics, for instance, that you have to represent the heteronormative and, you know, and, and that's just what it is. You're not going to go and campaign because we had this conversation a few weeks ago we have an entity in the Bahamas called the Bahamas Christian Council, and they operate um, as a pseudo-government of sorts. They're not a government entity, of course, but they hold a lot of weight in what is acceptable in this country. So one of the only few, uh, I guess the few instances of successful protesting I've seen here was organized by individuals that were part of that group, and it was in protest of a, a gay cruise. This was some years ago. I think I was a teen when it happened. And I just, I just always knew that um, there was not a, a place for any kind of uprising or community, uh, if not here, especially with the proximity to the United States. Um, definitely not in Jamaica. Definitely not in Trinidad and Tobago, where they where they are a bit more aggressive in, the, in their discrimination. Um, Caribbean is a very interesting place when it comes to that. Uh, so um, I don't have a huge understanding of what it is to participate in things like Pride or participate in any kind of organized movement um, that the community would have. It's, it's a very strange thing for me. I haven't even done it outside of this country, to be very honest. Yeah, for sure. Julia, I don't know if you were going to say something. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's also interesting to hear how you, you know, when you first started out, just like talking about what like an outward um, queer culture looks like, which I think is also part of it is interesting because you know, we think about, you know, what is like an outward queer culture look like? Because a lot of that is like this, like desire to be like this homogenous, super commercialized, like this is what queer culture is. And in some ways it's like, is this something that we're seeing as like a, like a bottom up? Or is it like people in, in media and other things that are going to like basically repackage queer culture to queer people and like sell it back to us? Um, so in that way, I think also like there, there becomes like this distinction is like, you know, when, when we talk about this, like, 
outward queer culture like like where is that coming from are we talking about it from like from media and people in the spotlight because that is inherently different from what it actually looks like in like queer communities in cities and that that's always like something that I I think about a lot is that you know what is queer culture and how like who defines what that looks like yeah one of the things that I kind of wanted to ask you Prashita is like you know obviously the month of June is as much a time to reclaim queer joy as it is to also recognize the inequalities that are happening within the movement. And, you know, obviously this month is subject to a gargantuan amount of rainbow washing. How do you as a queer advocate kind Mm -hmm. of find that balance between, you know, prioritizing your joy throughout the year, not just through the month of June, let's be real, Um, but then also kind of finding that energy to be like, hey, hang on a second, this is really messed up. Like, how do we address that? I think it's a really difficult balance to strike because ultimately LGBTQ plus people, queer people deserve to like sit with their joy and actually like enjoy being queer and enjoy all the wonderful things that like come with being queer, you know? Um, But I feel like there's so much pressure in this month to like make money from our identities because often it's like one of the few times that queer people can get jobs and get money from like the same brands that profit off pink washing and putting rainbow logos all over their corporate branding. Um, it's often the only time that queer people can really earn some money because we know that uh, you know, LGBTQ plus people experience much higher rates of discrimination in the workplace and kind of marginalization uh, when it comes to un- um, employment and, and, and uh, studies and things. So, yeah, I think it's a really difficult balance to track because also I feel like it's hard because it shouldn't be the responsibility of people who are marginalized and oppressed to kind of like change the status quo, but also. I think those in the community who are taking a stand against uh, sort of societal norms and the status quo and the way that like queer people are being exploited, I uh, do feel like there is some level of responsibility here for uh, activists and community organisers and people who are sort of like perceived as, you know, as you were saying, like the external face of the queer community to not like perpetuate these harmful ideas of what it means to be queer, especially in Pride Month. Um, you know, I think when we come back to what we were saying about representation in the first, like, kind of topic that we touched on, I think what's the most important thing is that it has to go way beyond representation. Like, representation is 100% not enough. And in Pride Month, there often seems to be such a focus on representation. And so, you know, while it's really important for queer people to celebrate their joy and and really like enjoy everything that comes from being queer it's equally important to ensure that that kind of queer representation that we are almost forced into during pride month doesn't perpetuate harmful ideas of what it means to be queer in the long run for sure and i mean i think like especially you know in i'll speak from my experience in the united states like the LGBTQ community has a white supremacy problem. And, like, you know, we have to deal with that, like, internally as, as a community is to be, like, mm. you know, what does it look like to think about queer liberation as beyond, like, just civil rights? Like, not, like, just civil rights, because that always sounds shitty, but, like, you know, like, the it doesn't end with, like, marriage equality and all the things. And, and I think that that happens a lot where you see that, like, a lot of those outward faces of 
of um, the queer community are also like, is the goal to assimilate into capitalist, like patriarchal um, and like heteronormative society and like be able to just like have that like slight little spin because that is is never going to be liberation for everyone. And so in some ways it's like, how are we thinking about like this as like an assimilation factor, which is why I think like there's been such at least you know in the spaces that i met i've been seeing that like such a reckoning to be like let's come back to the original origins of what pride is let's like how are we thinking about the history of stonewall how are we thinking about like the pioneers of pride month that was you know originally uh the like christopher street liberation parade like before it became pride it became all these things and it was led by like trans women of color and like how do we think about that like pride is a police riot it is like you know and all these things and so i think like coming back to that origin then can always continually reframe that like we're here for liberation and not some like dinky little representation politics yeah although i think it's like also important to recognize that like even at the christopher day liberation march like it was organized and mostly led by cis white gay men and and, like cis lesbians like it like yes black trans women were there but they were also like massively still shunned in the community like this has been a long running problem and like one of the big reasons why we need to center the most marginalized voices because racism is as you said and has been like a huge problem within the queer community and like it has been from the very start of when we started having these big organized sort of parades and events just kind of thinking back to you know, when I was younger and obviously being racialized as an East Asian woman in an extremely homophobic environment uh, growing up in Hong Kong made me actually very closeted for very long, even though I knew that I was definitely queer. And I think a large part of that is because the only representation that I saw and the ones that the folks who I think were kind of so-called pioneers of queer culture were gay white men cis white men and I think that that really has a huge huge impact on not only you know uh like you know uh, youth who are how should I say just like trying to find their world uh, their way in the world by coming out as queer but also for how people identify and how they shape their identities around culture you know for me for the longest time I used to think that because I was quite femme I couldn't be queer or because I previously saw myself as you know um gender conforming and and you know stuck to what my uh, assigned sex was that I thought okay well I can't be non-binary I can't be queer and I feel like so many of these conversations are only becoming accessible to me since leaving Hong Kong but also since actually tapping into queer communities that are extremely underrepresented in the mainstream and you know a large part of why I really appreciate your work is because you're so vocal about it and you're also uh, really reassuring in the way that you talk about queer culture and sexuality and gender fluidity and for me so much of it fluctuates like it changes day by day (laughs) um and yeah I think that's that's really important and I kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on like why you think it's important to recognize the fluidity in this and like understanding that queer culture is different for everybody yeah sure sorry I'm not crying I have um just like weeping my childhood was so moving (laughs) 
Um, I did relate a lot to it though. Um, and I think, yeah, like that's why I think it's so, so incredibly important for us to be having these conversations. Like, uh, kind of like what, you know, what we're talking about before about how a lot of queer uh, kind of progress activism is so linked to uh, assimilation or like, you know, kind of like belonging within the systems that already exist. And one of the most important things I think for me is for us to distance ourselves from any sort of binary thinking or categories or boxes because binaries are like inherently a colonial construct um you know these boxes and categories like Linnaeus came along and categorized all the mammals and reptiles and gave them all little boxes to live in and we had binary sexes and genders and all of that I just feel like as far as we can distance ourselves from existing within neat little categories and boxes and binaries, the better for everyone. Of course, like, ultimately it comes down to a person's individual identity, like, what, how they feel comfortable identifying, how they want to be referred to, and maybe sometimes that will align with a binary that the world has created. But I think that, like, that doesn't mean that that everyone doesn't have the right for that to fluctuate. I think humans have such a need to put things into neat little categories and boxes because it makes complex things easier to understand because our brains have a really strong desire to understand things but are almost just a little bit not clever enough to fully understand the complexities of existence and so for us to like almost understand ourselves we need to have these kind of categories and stereotypes and for me it's just really important um, to just share with the world that it's so much more freeing to just kind of allow yourself to like fluctuate and evolve and grow throughout your life and to allow other people to do the same because honestly it doesn't it doesn't take anything away from you I think I've been thinking like a lot recently about this quote by um Ocean Vyong is that how you pronounce his last name (laughs) um uh, you know he was saying how queerness saved his life and he said that it demanded Queerness demanded an alternative innovation mm. from him. And, like, I adore that so much. It literally gives me chills every time I think about that sentence. Because, for me, I've had people say to me, you know, oh, you, like, identify as queer or you identify as pan. Like, isn't that, like, doesn't that limit you on yourself? And it's the absolute opposite. Queerness is the most expansive existence that I can imagine. And exactly like how um, Vuong said, you know, this idea of it demanding an alternative innovation of how I live my life, how I interact with other people. I want that to go so much beyond the binary and I want everyone to be able to feel free to do the same. Yeah, that honestly, that is textbook in many ways, even though, you know, it's always changing and shifting according to each person and, like, we have the freedom to define how we want to be and, you know, all of this kind of stuff is is very nuanced and, and very kind of dependent on the person that... Uh, is in question but I definitely relate to that because I think for a large part I used to get so much anxiety with labeling myself as as you know what it is and then as you know there are so many contentions between the terms bi and pan and like people going oh so does that mean that like bi people don't like trans people and like all of this you know this back and forth thing when at at the end of the day it's just like I'm human and I love humans (laughs) like 
<laughs> that's that's how I identify. Some people might not identify as human, and that's totally valid mm. as well. Um, it got me thinking back to this post that um, Julia did a while ago on queering, um, and that for me was like one of the first times that like I really thought about you know, being queer as being innovative, because before I think I had like, and maybe a lot of it is internalized homophobia from like the culture that I'd been fed, where I saw everything as like super constricted and like in these binaries that obviously are very much intrinsic to like white queer colonial culture. So Julia, I don't know if you want to like elaborate on that a bit. Yeah, um, well, part of it is like, it's from one of my favorite quotes ever, which is a bell hooks quote. Um, that queer not as being who you're just who you're having sex with that can be a dimension of it but queer as being about the self that is at odds with everything around it and has to invent and create and find a place to speak and thrive and to live and so I feel like that's something that I think about all the time because I think that queerness taught me everything like being queer like having this like I don't even know. I think it's, like, for, to be a person who realizes that, like, something that people think of as, like, so innate, like, questioning the gender binary and not feeling like a part of the gender binary makes you feel like, wait, why do we think about anything either binary-wise or as, like, like social or societal constructs? And so I think that, like, there has been this this nature that, like, LGBTQ people have always been questioning and challenging normative ideas of, you know, whatever it is, family, of community, of kinships, of mm-hmm. environments, of relationships, of, like, of nature, you know, of, of, like, everything. And so I think that part of it is, like, to me, queerness is coming all the way to the, to like, down and questioning everything. And I think that that's, like, a way that we move through the world. And, and I don't think that necessarily all all gay people feel that way because you know there, there's definitely like we said um kind of folks who are super into that assimilation route but um you know I think that that like the that space to be able to subvert everything is is so important and I um and I love I don't know if you saw um Angela Davis did like it was like a, I think it was a live interview last year um and she was talking about how like the like abolition um learns so much from the trans community because yeah. like if they can like yeah abolish the the very basis of like our human normalcy which is like the gender binary then like why can't we abolish everything else you know and, and i think that mm. that like and that thinking is i mean that's what guides everything i do so that's why being queer is super rad <laughs> we love queer people yeah sorry same yeah no I do I do think that there's like a difference between queerness and like just being gay and like that's not to say that people who are like there's not like there's not like a better way to be but uh I do think there is like a slight there is a difference in how I approach the world as you said like it's a much more kind of holistic approach to everything being the possibility of everything being different and better and queerer. Um, as you said, like Angela Davis, and made me think of another quote by her, just a queer and great people, um, where she was like, you have to act as if it were possible to radically transform the world and you have to do it all the time. And I feel like me, my queerness provides like the foundation for me to be able to imagine this radically better world and to help create it all the time. And like... Some of that is through actions that I can take along with my community and along with my, like, friends and my chosen families and all of that. But a lot of that is just, like, queer people existing automatically helps to create this radically different world. 
completely completely agree with that in so many ways and I I also it just you know, to hark back to this bruised inner child of mine that is, you know, taking up a lot of the conversation here. Uh, you know, I was extremely, uh, I think, had a lot of internalized homophobia to the point where, like, I denied my queerness for so long that the point where there was, like, a point of no return, I felt so liberated that everything that I stood for was no longer an obstacle to me. Uh, in part because I had reckoned with that one thing in my life that had been so, uh, you know, so shameful to me or I was so afraid of. And then I think once you kind of liberate yourself from that, it just feels like it opens you up to a world of possibilities. And and yeah, it's uh, it's it's a really beautiful thing at the same time. I also kind of wanted to talk a little bit about your work as a writer. You, you know, alongside uh, sharing your fabulous words with us, you are also someone who uh, writes for a variety of different magazines. Is there anything in particular about the writing medium that you feel uh, is super, super empowering for you and allows you that freedom to talk about these things with as much nuance and honesty? For sure. I think that social media is an extremely powerful tool in spreading information. I think that like a lot of people have had their eyes like potentially a little bit like a little bit bit opened by uh, social media and like I you know I I use social media to to try and do that as much as I can but in writing longer prose like I just feel like I can get into the kind of crux of issues um that you just that just don't feel like it's possible in many other mediums um you know I think it allows me this sort of space because when I'm talking and like I love talking about these things too and I love you know talking with all of you about and having these conversations I think when you're interacting with people you kind of bounce off ideas and it's so wonderful to feel that kind of instant kind of like affirmation validation of your ideas and to have these explorations together but writing allows me to just be totally alone with myself and also with all who came before me and all who have thought about these topics and all who have worked on finding themselves through this world and, and to try and sort of find a path through and, and kind of shape it with their words. And, and I find it really sort of centering and grounding and beautiful to sort of be alone with that and be able to think about what I really think about something and to be able to write it down. I think to be able to convert what I think within into a format which hopefully explains it to others is really empowering, but it's also, it helps me to navigate my own space in this world a lot more easily because to to then be able to turn sort of jumbled messes of ideas that some of them, some of which are contradicting and, and sort of like, you know, learn from around me and sort of questioning my own thoughts and myself um, to, to convert that into a format which helps uh, convey my, my thoughts to other people and also kind of brings together other people's ideas and thoughts in one place. Um, I think that's, I think I find that really, really like wonderful and, and, and empowering. I think a lot of what we do can be so reactive, like without thought, a lot of the time, a lot of sort of like sharing and, and conversations that we have on social media um, or even in person, kind of while it's wonderful to bounce ideas off other people, a lot of it can be reactive, which doesn't allow space for your own thoughts to kind of flourish and develop. So yeah, writing just 
I think writing is a really wonderful way to bring together different people's ideas and your own um, thoughts and convert it into something that just just goes on more of a journey um, and hopefully gets somewhere deeper to the point. Yeah, for sure. I really, um, I really like how you say that, you know, you're kind of writing not only with your own thoughts, but also a legacy of people who have written before you and, and all of the thoughts and voices that have been echoed beforehand. And I think it's, it's, it is a really powerful medium and it's something that I've always loved. Um, and I think that writing and reading subsequently can be quite meditative and it allows you to really take stock of what you are reading, allows you to mull those thoughts over without being so reactionary. Um, but also an aspect of your writing that I love is like that you integrate other voices as well. I really liked the one that you wrote about solidarity knows no borders, talking about, um, you know, the work that you do, um, not only within the sort of LGBTQ liberation of of certain Polish communities, but also talking about Colombia and Palestine um, and, and asking people what solidarity means to them. And I think this is, again, this classic example of how, like, reimagining the world that we know through this sort of, like, queer lens, as it were, that another world is possible. So, yes, we say no to, like, um, police brutality in Colombia. We say no to genocide that is happening in Palestine at the moment. Um, and there was something that you said about solidarity which Julia has also spoken about a lot which is that solidarity is a verb and I think that that's something that's like super super important to to remember so you know hopefully we can kind of like round up on a lovely little uh sort of thought process which is that you know what does queer solidarity mean to you what do you think it means for uh, those who are listening who kind of want to have an intentional pride uh, who not only want to celebrate queer people's joy but also you know think about everything holistically and with a lens that is intersectional it's a big question <laughs> very big and it was like in with the hard hitters <laughs> um, <laughs> yep <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna lie like, I would oh, love I for you to write a book <laughs> Could this be like the seed that plants? <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll we'll see. We'll see what Ooh. happens in the next year. Um, hint, hint, hint. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, <laughs> um, yes. So queer solidarity. I think, as you said, solidarity is a doing word. It's a verb. Like we, I think, when we think about our space as queer people in the world and what we bring to each other's lives and what we bring to the rest of the world and like how we interact with one another across borders across oceans like i mean borders like the borders that exist that shouldn't exist you know um that kind of like connectedness it's so it's already there because we are queer because we because we look at the world around us and we challenge it we challenge how others tell us we should live we challenge how systems say that we should be punished um you know we we look around the world and we challenge it so we are already connected we're already linked just through the way that we interact with the world around us because we are the world around us and so that solidarity is already there but then to turn that into a verb into a doing word I think is that's the very very important step because 
we can sit around and we can quote Marsha P. Johnson and we can say, oh, you know, when none of us are free until all of us are free and, and, and no, no pride for some of us until, um, until, there's pride for, until there's liberation for all of us. But what does it mean without action? It doesn't mean anything unless we take action to actually turn those words into a reality for queer people across the world, not just the people that we see on a daily basis, not just the people that we interact with. Because I think to... I think to be in solidarity with someone is to love them, really. I think we're so afraid of love because we've been told that it has to come with some with structures and, and with obligations and, and all of this. Um, but queerness teaches us that love is as expansive as we want it to be. And I think to be in solidarity with one another is to love one another because we want to see everyone in the world who is currently oppressed in any way whether they are queer or not whether because they are still experiencing the harmful impacts of those systems that we want to challenge by being queer you know col like colonial systems and capitalist systems it's all the same thing it's all linked it all roots back to the exact same root causes which is capitalism and colonialism and power um and greed and so for us to challenge those things together that is solidarity and that's love waiting for that book to come out because those words <laughs> i want to frame it on my wall yeah, what is solidarity if not loving a stranger oh gosh I recently um, shared with Julia this um, post that was done by work scientists about relationship anarchy, and I was like, it's me! <laughs> and I feel like you described that so eloquently, and it's something that really resonates with me as well. Um, for me, mine is less uh, poignant and and whatnot, but for me, it's it, solidarity is about a commitment for life, uh, because we know that, as, as, as you said, um, none of us are free until we're all free yes but like okay we have to take action and I see that to be a lifelong process um so for me it's it's about commitment basically oh man you guys already had, took all the good <laughs> we have to come up with something unique um no first of all I think I echo so many of the things that you said especially about you know thinking about solidarity as love because that is something that's like so close to my heart and I can like viscerally like feel it in my body when like when you talk about it when I talk about it and and I think that you know solidarity for queer liberation uh I think the the biggest thing I think is like all on all the levels of all the scales like how are we changing the material conditions of our communities around us of uh of people you know and thinking about how that ripples out and so it's like maybe that's the community we're in contact with maybe that's community like locally and then regionally and then like thinking about nationally and internationally and like and so and for me I just think that like it starts with that seed in the center and then it's about rippling out um and and as everyone starts to ripple inwards then we you know really do create that that type of of grassroots solidarity movement that and that's the only thing that can take uh that can topple the systems of oppression and the systems of power like colonialism and capitalism that that you highlighted so for me it's like it's like that visual of like that's what solidarity is it's like all of us maybe i'm just a very visual person but we send it out <laughs> and it comes back and then it makes this like interwoven network damn i can <laughs> see that love that's that. awesome you can really feel it that's awesome neil how about you 
<laughs> it was so interesting sitting here listening to everyone because everyone had such interesting and, and nuanced approaches to what solidarity is. And it, it just kind of pushed me to a certain word and that word is truth. And I think that's a part of what solidarity is. Solidarity is at first identifying the truth, listening to someone's truth, listening to what the community is saying, and then you amplify that. And that's a huge part of showing love and showing your commitment. And um, I think that's that's what I'm, I'm getting from this conversation, is that we need to take into account what we know to be true for individuals and what we know to be true for the collective community. And then we take action by amplifying that. And uh, it's crazy because in the core community, there's a saying, like, what's tea? Like, what's the tea? And that's exactly what that tea stands for. It stands for the truth. Like, what's your truth? You know, like, when you say someone knows my tea, like, they know my truth. And so, um, yeah, I think truth is the word that, that comes with the solidarity for me. I love that, you know. <laughs> so seeing someone's truth is seeing someone's humanity as well. I think, oh, yeah, definitely. Is, yeah. Oh, guys, you've given me all the feels. <laughs> and to see someone is to love them. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I feel very, like, warm and fuzzy inside on a ready warm and fuzzy day. Yeah. I have, like, zero heat tolerance. <laughs> so I'm, like, breaking out into sweats from how exciting this is going to make me feel. <laughs> this is what Pride is about. Pride is not the, uh, the short sleeve um, no. uh, target. <laughs> The short sleeve target pride suit. Um, pride <laughs> is in fact uh, loving our community. <laughs> yes, thank you so much for this conversation. Where can we find you? Where can people find your work? How can they support you? I'm on Instagram at Prashita underscore Eloise, and I'm on Twitter um, at Prashita underscore MA. Uh, I'm politics editor at Bricks Magazine, so uh, that's like majority of where I write for, but I also write for Gaudem um, and like other, other magazines and, and publications um, as much as I, you know, for, like trying to support the independent independent publications. But I think the most important thing is uh, if uh, everyone could support Voices for London, um, who are the uh, the direct action group that I organise with. At the moment, we are fundraising for um, someone called Nick. Or, uh, we're using the pseudonym Nick, who is a Chechen refugee. Um, he's been persecuted in Chechnya because of the sort of like persecution of gay people there. Um, and we're doing a big fundraiser for him so that he can uh, get a like a language visa and do a course and, and settle some in another country. So yeah, um, we're going to be launching a raffle. So yeah, if, if, if everyone can support us for London and try and donate to help Nick, then that would be the best way to support me, to be fair. Yeah, that would be amazing. And please do send us any links or resources that you would like for us to share on our own platform. Um, we're also happy to repost anything uh, just to sort of, you know, get the word out and, and try and show solidarity for queer communities everywhere. Just had to throw that word in. Exactly. <laughs>